0: Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. If you forgot your Bible at home or in the car or wherever and you'd like to have a copy to look at, you just wave at the ushers when they come by. They have Bibles that would be happy to pass towards you, pass to you. So... And we're going to be over in Ephesians 1. We've been there for the last several weeks, continuing in this series, Custom Made Calling. Each of us having a custom made calling. This one's not something you buy off the rack, it's specifically custom made for you. God has a plan for each of our lives. And we're going to continue on this morning as they're handing out Bibles and as you're turning over to Ephesians. Um, I know that we use the internet for all kinds of things, but I sometimes wonder if I use it for strange things, um, because sometimes I'll get this, what I believe is a prompting from the Lord, and I'll do searches, and one I got this week was to Google meaning of life. That is an interesting search. That is an it. Be careful, you may find some things that you would, the Holy Spirit will direct you away from, um, but it's interesting to go through and usually these are somewhat famous people at least in their own circles and they're expounding they're philosophizing over what is the meaning of life I realize that most people don't know that's what you realize as you go through this I jotted down a few of them for you this is from Andre Moreau who is a very famous French author Andre said the universe is indifferent who created it Why are we here upon this puny mud heap spinning in infinite space? I have not the slightest idea, and I am quite convinced that no one else has one either. That's depressing. How many of you are Jurassic Park fans? Jurassic Park? Michael Crichton weighed in on the meaning of life. It's a movie, Jurassic Park. Dinosaurs? The puddles shaking and everybody in anticipation, you know, those famous scenes. Michael Crichton wrote Jurassic Park, among other things. He says, the purpose of life is to stay alive. Watch any animal in nature, all it tries to do is stay alive. It doesn't care about beliefs or philosophy. Whenever Whenever any animal's behavior puts it out of touch with the realities of its existence, it becomes extinct. The sad thing about that for Michael is a few years ago, he died of cancer, so he lost the meaning of life, which was staying alive. Leo Tolstoy, a great Russian author, wrote War and Peace and Anna Karenina. Um, He said, "'Today or tomorrow, sickness and death "'will come to those I love or to me. "'Nothing will remain but stench and worms. "'Sooner or later, my affairs, "'whatever they may be, will be forgotten. And I shall not exist. Then why go on making any effort? How can man fail to see this? And how go on living? That is what is surprising. One can only live while one is intoxicated with life. As soon as one is sober, it is impossible not to see that all is a mere fraud and a stupid fraud. That's also depressing. The end is not the reward. The path you take, the emotions that course through you as you grasp life, that is the reward. In other words, there is no goal. There's no ultimate goal. It's just what I feel as I go along the way. Whatever I do and how it makes me feel, that's the purpose and meaning of life. Some of us live that way. The artist lives to have stories to tell and to learn to tell them well. Okay, I love stories. I love stories as much as the next person. But is that the whole meaning of life, is to have stories to tell and tell them well? This is another one you'll recognize. Stephen King wrote this. You discarded most of the lies along the way, but held on to the one that said life mattered. Do you get that? You discarded most of the lies along the way, but held on to the one that said life mattered. Each man must look to himself to teach him the meaning of life. Now that's a scary proposition. It is not something discovered, it is something molded. In other words, you make your own destiny. Again, many Americans live that way. This one just puzzled me. Sooner or later on this journey, every traveler faces the same question. Are you a human intending to be God or a God pretending to be human? I have never asked that question once in my life. I am neither a human intending to be God or God pretending to be a human. So, I mean, it's crazy stuff. You go through and read what people write about the meaning of life, there is some weird stuff out there. This one I wholeheartedly agree with, and that's not facetious, I mean it. I wholeheartedly agree with this one. Philosophers can debate the meaning of life, but you need a Lord who can declare the meaning of life. Max Lucado wrote that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, that's where we're at. Today, we're going to talk about the meaning of life, because that's what these verses tell us. The Lord lays out for us the meaning of life, the purpose. You want to know why you're here? You want to know what the purpose and meaning of life is? It's found in these verses we're going to look at this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. He's making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. Now let's stop there before we go on. The mystery, anytime the scripture talks about mystery, it means a secret that only God knows, that you and I desperately need to know, but can only discover if He reveals it to us. Okay? Did you get that? That's a, when the Bible says mystery, it talks often about the mystery of the kingdom, the mystery of His will, the mystery of God, all these mysteries. In Ephesians 5, it talks about the mystery of Christ in the church when it talks about marriage and this thing we, this human institution we had called marriage. But He said, there's a great mystery here. A mystery is something, it's a secret that God knows that you and I desperately need to understand, but we can only see it if he reveals it to us. He says there's a mystery, and it's being revealed. It has started, and it's being revealed. As a matter of fact, notice the wording there. Making known. He is making it known. He started making it known, and he is continuing to make it known. The mystery of his will. Now, it's important that we see how he does this. Say, okay, I want to understand the mystery of His will. I want to understand the mystery of God. He says, I do it in Christ. Apart from Christ, you can't see it or understand it. That's how He reveals it. So you need to understand that this morning. If you want to understand the mystery of God's will, if you want to understand the meaning of life and the purpose for your life, you can only see it in Christ. There is no other way. Look at verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time, It literally, in the Greek, reads the administration of the seasons of the ages. It's literally history unfolding, revealing what God intended before the foundation of the world. Because we understand that, based on what we read earlier in this passage, that God started all this before the worlds were ever formed. Before you and I were ever even thought about, God had a plan and in the fullness of time now you think okay the fullness of time that means somewhere in the future there's going to be the fullness of time history is going to come to an end and then this will all be revealed that's not what it says as a matter of fact jesus said in mark chapter 1 verse 15 he said when he came and started his ministry it says he came to galilee john had been arrested and he said the fullness of time is now the kingdom of heaven is at hand repent The mystery has already been revealed and is continuing to be revealed until it will be completely revealed one day because Philippians 2 says one day every knee will bow and every tongue everyone will recognize the plan, the mystery of God what his plan was, what the meaning of life is all about everyone will see it one day willingly or unwillingly they will see it and they will kneel to it you and I and others who would believe have the opportunity to see it now he goes on. Here it is. What is the mystery of God? What is the mystery of his will? What is his plan? To unite all things in him, in Christ. Now, we th- when I first read that, I thought, you know what popped in my mind? We are the world. We are the, you know, it's, let's just all get together. We're all united. It's all good. It's all peace and happiness and joy. That was what popped into my head immediately. That's not what the word unite means here. The word unite here literally means to head up. In other words, there is a head. There is something that everything else is attached to, aligned with, and submitted to. That's the point. He says the plan of the Father before the foundation of the world was that everything, and notice what it says here, everything in heaven, things you can't see, and everything on earth, things you can see. Everything would be headed up In Jesus Christ that's the will of God that's the meaning of life everything is headed up in him you say shoo well I got that because I'm saved I'm a Christian I've got some shocking news for you this is not about salvation it starts with salvation 7 and 8 verses 7 and 8 were about salvation what does it say it says we were redeemed and we've been given forgiveness and he's lavished us with his grace that's salvation that's where it begins but just because you and I are saved doesn't mean we're headed up by Jesus you say Troy what do you mean years ago um, there was a family here um, that some of you know many of you have not met because you're new um, but they had a daughter Morgan and Morgan was a sweet sweet girl she's in her 20's now but when she was about 8 years old uh, she almost died and went into a diabetic coma. They didn't even know she had diabetes. It was a very severe form and kind of came all of a sudden and they didn't think she was going to live. As a matter of fact, no one thought she would live. At least none of the doctors, none of the medical professionals thought she would live. God not only spared her but restored her and there's a great testimony of what God did with her and continues to do and if you meet Morgan, there's just a sweet spirit of the Lord about her and, and you really just enjoy you enjoy talking to her you enjoy her attitude you enjoy her spirit and being around her but if you're around morgan very long very long you'll notice something and i used to talk to her or sit next to her at different times and she has an alien limb you know what an alien limb is it's a limb that will not be submitted to the head it does its own thing and one of her arms just usually was constantly in motion and it would go and it was painful to her it could often be distracting I'm sure at times it was embarrassing for her Um, it was in many ways useless to her because she couldn't count on it it would not submit to her brain all the rest of her body would submit to her brain but that arm would not when I was looking at this about being headed up in Christ the Lord brought Morgan to my mind and he said, it's a very real picture of what I'm talking about, Troy. You can be attached to the body, but not be headed by Christ. You being an alien limb out there, doing your own thing. You say, well, are they really saved? That's a question between them and God. I don't go there. Scripture says, if you believe and repent, you are saved. I'm not questioning that. What I am telling you as a fact, what I know in my own life by experience and what I know by watching many, many others, you can pray the prayer, you can believe in Jesus Christ, you can believe that he's the Savior, you can ask for that cleansing, but if there's not an ongoing work where he's heading up your life, you're just attached to the body, but you're not under his lordship. Paul says, the Holy Spirit says, That the the mystery of the will of God is that everything, everything seen and everything unseen would be under the headship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's his will. That's the meaning of life. Now, if the Spirit of God is in you, there's a part of you, when you hear that, you think, I really, I want that. I want that. I want to, I want my life to be headed by Jesus Christ. It means I want, think about what the head does. In the head we see. So I want everything I see to be seen through the eyes of Jesus. What do we do in our head? We think. We have a brain. We have a mind. We think. Everything I think, I want it to be guided by what Jesus would say. We have ears attached to our head. Everything I hear, I want to hear him. And there's a part of you, if the Spirit of God lives in you, there's a part of you that desires that. It has to be. If that desire is not in you, then the Spirit of God is not in you. Okay. And I don't mean that to be harsh. I just want to be honest with you. And it's funny, the older you get, the more honest you get. In my early days, I might have tried to couch that in different ways. No, I'm just going to be frank with you. If that desire is not in you, the Spirit of God is not in you. Because that's what the Spirit does. He takes and he stirs in us to say, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to see what he sees. I want to hear what he says. I want to think the way he thinks. I want to live life the way he lived it when he walked on this planet. Because in a real sense, he is walking it on this planet today through you. But here's the challenge. I say that but then I start listening to what Jesus says, and then I back up a little bit and think, well, I don't want to be a fanatic about this, you know. I mean, really. Remember last year when we were going through the Beatitudes? You start looking at that, and we, I talked about that as we began going through the Beatitudes. They're radical. Look at Jesus' first recorded message that we have, and he begins to share. He starts with the very first one. He says, blessed are you when you are spiritually poor, poor in spirit. So I want you to understand what he's saying. When you're spiritually empty, when you are dry, when you are when you feel like you have nothing, you're blessed. Uh uh-uh. uh. Nay, nay, Lord. When I'm that way, I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I'm not blessed. Oh, yes, you are. Why? Why would Jesus say that? Because you know your need. Because at that point, you are in the only place where you can actually receive something from heaven rather than receiving something from earth. Most of us try to meet our needs that were designed by God. We try to meet them with things of this earth, and they do not satisfy. And he says, when you are spiritually poor, you're in a great place. Because then you'll recognize your need and you'll be in a place you can receive from heaven all that he wants to give you. He says, when you're you're sad, you're happy. I mean, that's paraphrasing, but basically, blessed are they who mourn. Well, that's just wrong, Lord. I'm not happy when I mourn. He says, oh yeah, you are. Think about in your life how many times you've received supernatural comfort from the Holy Spirit when everything was going well. It's rare, probably. The main reason, we don't tend to look for it or think we need it or have any expectation. But when I am sad, when I am mourning, when I am broken, then I go looking for the Holy Spirit to be my comforter. Yesterday, in the men's time, Kevin was talking about warfare prayer and spiritual warfare and praying. And I love what he said, is that we are all warriors. We're all, we're all in a battle. You know the reason we don't do much warfare praying is because we don't see the war. If I don't see the war, there's no, there's no point in fighting. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I, I don't care what you normally think. I don't care what every other voice tells you. But when you're poor in spirit, you're blessed. When you're mourning, you're blessed. When you're hungry, you're blessed. When you're meek, I don't like meek. It rhymes with weak. And so we think, well, I've got to be weak. That's not what the word means. There's incredible strength in meekness. Yes, he was. He was meek. It says of Moses, he was the meekest man on earth. There's not a weakness there. There is a yieldedness in meekness. When I have to yield what I think I'm rightfully deserved, I'm blessed I don't feel that way most of the time do you see we talk about I want to be headed up by Jesus and then I start listening to what Jesus says in the Lord is there another way to be headed up by Jesus is there a plan B this is vitally vitally important folks Most, I'm not talking about lost people, most believers never experience meaning in life because they never experience what it is to be headed by Jesus. I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about us. Colossians 1 says he's the head of the body and in all things he is preeminent. He's above all others. Everything else subservient to him to what he says to where he leads I look back over my life and the great challenge of my life is not has not been knowing the will of God the mystery of his will the great challenge has been submitting to it in everything at all times and I haven't been there I'm growing in it by the way I love that in this passage because it's being revealed, it was revealed, it started 2,000 years ago. Jesus said, the kingdom has come, and it is now among you. The kingdom is here, and it's continuing to work until the culmination of time, the end of history, whenever that happens. It's growing, it's working, it's progressing. And so what we have then is inside this worldly kingdom This earthly kingdom, this kingdom that runs by a different set of laws, on a different system, it has a different power source. In the midst of that, he says, I've introduced my kingdom. I want to read you something. This was by Ray Steadman. One of the greatest secrets scattered throughout the scripture is what you find referred to repeatedly as the mystery of the kingdom of God. The secret government of of earth, if you like. This is the fact that in the midst of the world around us, with nature and people and books and trees and houses and all the other visibilities of life, right in the middle of it, permeating all of it, and governing and controlling everything, is a secret invisible kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. God is in control of history. He is governing human affairs. He is behind creation, and he made nature. It's this... Eugene Peterson called it subversive kingdom at work. In the midst of everything around us, where most believe what they see, most agree with what they hear, it feels right, it feels natural to live in this kingdom. He says, no, I'm doing a work in you, and if you're headed in me, you're a subversive in this kingdom. You're coming against it. I designed, and I gave you authority and power to do so. Now, I could spend weeks on this subject, but I'm not, okay? I'm not going to do that. Some of you got worried. I'm not. (laughs) Not at the moment. I'm going to do something, hopefully, very simple this morning because I'm a very simple man. When I see something like this, my first question is, okay, Lord, how do I do it? If, it, if, I, if the Spirit doesn't reveal to me how do I do it, what good is it? It's just information that I go out and, well, that was nice. Thanks. More stuff to fall out later. All right? What do I do with it? How do I live a life headed up by Jesus part of it we're going to see next week the power for doing that we're going to look at next week in verses 13 and 14 it's been interesting we started with the father in verses 3 through 6 7 through 12 are about the son 13 and 14 about the spirit so the power of living this out comes from the holy spirit but we have the holy spirit within us now what i want to do this week because we're going to save next week for next week it's hard for me to do that sometimes but we're going to save next week for next week this week though i'm going to show you based on hebrews chapter 12 Three simple things. They're not easy, but they're simple. To have Jesus heading up your life. So that you're not just attached to the body, you're aligned and submitted to the head. Hebrews chapter 12 comes right after that great chapter we call the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. As a matter of fact, if you go through the entire book of Hebrews, I think one of the most clear things Summations, if you will, of what the book of Hebrews is all about is in Hebrews chapter 2. If you want to back up there and look, I didn't give these scripture to the folks in the back. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. This theme runs all the way through the book of Hebrews. He says, therefore, Hebrews 2, verse 1, therefore we must pay much closer attention to to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. What is he saying? He's saying you have got to take this seriously. You've got to pay attention. It's more than just, okay, I came in and I heard something. I heard information. I heard something that stirred me in some way. No, he says I want you to pay attention. I want you to enter into it. I want you to wrestle with it. I want you to meditate on it. I want you to allow it to do its work. Let let the word do its perfect work. Believe it and let it do its perfect work. And you're going to see that theme all the way through the book of Hebrews. And then we get over to chapter 11. It makes sense in chapter 11 that he has a whole chapter of these heroes of faith, as we call them. Those who believed God. They paid attention to what he said. They paid attention in spite of what they saw around them. Noah's building an ark for 120 years, and he's listed in that list. It has never rained. And he's building a vessel to keep them safe from a bunch of water, and it has never rained. Abraham is 100 years old, and his wife is 90, and God says, I'm giving you a child of your own loins. Matter of fact, not just one. I'm going to make you the father of many. But there's no human way for that to happen, as far as Abraham can see. You have this whole chapter about believing God when you can't see when it doesn't make any sense, when basically it doesn't line up with this kingdom that we live in. I've probably shared this story before, but sometimes I forget which ones I've shared, so if you've heard it, indulge me, and if you haven't, it'll be new. Um, I I was 15, I think, 15 or 16 years old. I think I was 15. And one day, my mother was in a traffic accident. And she was dri- actually driving back from dropping me off at school. And she merged onto a divided four-lane road. It was pretty open. Usually hardly anybody on. This is South Mississippi. And, you know, even at rush hour, that I mean, there were 12 cars at rush hour, you know. So uh, there, there, usually it was pretty empty. And so she's merging onto it. And for whatever reason, uh, whether she wasn't paying attention or thinking about something else, she merged and went immediately to the left-hand lane. And and she's going slower in it. She didn't recognize that there was a pickup truck that was coming very, very fast. It speeds over 100 miles an hour. A man was driving his pregnant wife to the hospital. She had gone into labor. And they were just a few miles from the hospital when all this happened. So he is flying down this road, and Mom never saw him. She pulls out in front of him, and so he tries to move. Of course, he's driving a truck with big old mud tires, and they gripped on that asphalt, and that truck just flipped, and it flipped, and it flipped, and it flipped. flipped. The mom, the mother, perfectly okay, not a scratch on her. The baby's fine. The ambulance arrives, takes her on to the hospital. But the young man was seriously injured, the, ma- the young man driving the truck. And my mom recognized it. She stopped. She pulled over. She went to them, and she's talking to him and, and really didn't know whether he would live or die. And so she's sitting there. She's talking to him, holding his hand, calling him by name, talking to him. And, and since she didn't know where they live or die, she asked and said, do, "Do you know Jesus?" And he goes, "No ma'am, I, I really don't. This is Mississippi, so everybody says, "No ma'am and yes ma'am and that kind of thing and no ma'am, I don't." So my mother shared Christ with him laying right there on the asphalt and he believed and received the Lord Jesus Christ laying right there. And the ambulance arrived and took him on off to the hospital. my mom went up to see him, check on him, pray with him. He, his neck was broken. He was paralyzed from the neck down. He did survive. But then um, my mom went to visit him one day and they stopped and they wouldn't let her come in. And they said, You can't be here. And she said, Why can't I be here? I want to just, you know, I want to see him. I've been praying for him. And, and they go, Well, you, you're being sued. And so it's no longer appropriate for you to be here. And so, anyway, long story short, um, the insurance company had m- mom and dad meet with this high-powered attorney and the whole deal, and said, well, here's what's going to happen. They're going to roll him in, paralyzed, in the courtroom, and, and they're going to give him everything he wants and more, and you're going to lose everything you have and everything the insurance pays and then everything you've got. All these things are going to happen. And so your only hope is you have to counter-sue. You need to counter-sue them. He wasn't an emergency vehicle, he didn't have the right of way as an emergency vehicle. You know, all these things you need to counter sue. Well, there's a problem because 1 Corinthians says that believers don't sue believers, we don't take them to court. And so, um, my mom and dad were like, Well, we can't do that. Well, why can't you do it? Well, because he accepted Christ, he's a brother. And the interesting thing is because of the attorneys and, and the legal system and the whole deal, they couldn't talk to him anymore. I'm not even sure that he was pushing this, but they couldn't talk to him. And I remember the lawyer saying, you're going to lose everything. And I remember my parents having this conversation. I was 15, but I can remember and there, was, there was a certain heaviness in our home. You know, what does the future hold? What does all this look like? And the counsel, the wisdom, and I'm sure it was great legal counsel. I am not doubting that at all. I'm sure it made every kind of sense except for this, this problem, which was, Scripture said, don't sue a brother. He says, handle these things among the church. Don't take them to a secular court. You say, Troy, that's just not how it's done today. That was then. It's not, I, I get that. I understand it. And I'm not telling you what to do or not to. I'm telling you what the Holy Spirit told my parents. Is Jesus is telling you, don't sue him. Trust me. Trust me. This went on for weeks and months, and finally the attorney called one day, and he said, you're not going to believe this. He said, this never happens. I have never seen this happen before. They settled for what the insurance company was willing to give them. It's not going to trial. It's not going to court. It's done. It's over. And I remember my parents rejoicing and thanking the Lord, and I can remember it made an impression on me because I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't you do what everybody else said you're supposed to do? The reason we don't is because we're headed up in somebody else. We have a different master. Now, what would happen if they went to court and they won and we lost everything? You're still headed up by a different master. I'm not promising you that following Jesus means you always have the outcome you desire, because often it does not. doesn't matter it appears to me that the outcome that happened at the cross wasn't necessarily the one that jesus desired he said lord father if there is any other way i choose that way nevertheless not my will but your will be done this headed up thing is bigger than we realize hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 how do you do this number one and I shared that illustration about my parents because my parents were not perfect by any stretch, just like I'm not a perfect parent and you're not a perfect parent. But there was a desire that they had. They really did want to be followers of Jesus Christ. They really did. They didn't always do it well or do it the right way, just like I don't always do it the right way, but that was their desire. And in the first thing that we see, it says you are surrounded, seeing that you are surrounded by such a great of cloud, cloud of witnesses. The first thing that you and I must do in this is we need to learn lessons from those who are headed up in Jesus. Whether they're living or dead, you need to pay attention to those who are walking under the headship and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Don't spend time with people who aren't. I mean, you can spend time for a different purpose. But when it comes to your walk with Jesus, this growth in the mystery of his will, you learn that by people who are walking that. Do you understand what I mean by that? I said last week during our prayer time, I was so blessed and encouraged by someone who's a dear friend of mine I've never met. I have dear friends I've never met. But I've read or I've listened to them. They're older saints in the Lord. Some of them are dead. Some of them are still living. And God has used them to shape my life in ways, to speak and and confirm what he was saying at certain times. I'm telling you, surround yourself with people who are walking or have walked under the headship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Great Christian biographies. Learn from them. Read them. Devour them. I have a whole shelf section in the office in there. Just biographies of great men and women. It would change your life not that they change it the holy spirit working through their experiences because you begin to realize they struggle with some of the same things you do and here's what god did in their life and then there are people who are still living learn from them spend time with them get connected with them as much as you can don't be don't be a pest all right i mean don't be obnoxious in all of it although you know what sometimes in my life in my younger days i was a pest i know i was I'd see somebody and think, I want to learn from them. And so I'd just show up and say, I want to learn from you. I remember that happened one time with a mentor in my life. I said, I said, I want to learn from you, but I've got a problem. I go to work at 8, and I don't get off till 5. And he said, well, I start work at 4 and usually don't quit till 10. I said, there's, there's a lot of hours between 4 and 8, and hours from 5 to 10. I'll be here. And so I did. Because I wanted to learn from those I was looking at and thinking there's something different about their life than my life. What is it? I want to learn. I want to know. We're private. We're closed up. We're hiding. Quit hiding. Quit hiding. Quit pretending you have issues. You got them. We already know you got them. You don't have to hide them. Don't revel in them don't glory in them just bring them out in the light nothing is ever cured in the darkness bring in the light let people walk with you and then receive from them it's like you know i want to learn from you and then they start helping you and it's like oh, i don't want that listen close the mouth open ears listen number two it says, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets you. It causes you to stumble. I'm going to tell you what I believe about this passage and why I believe it. There will be others who can disagree. So I'm not telling you this is... The, the word of God is lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets you. That is the word of God. Here's what I believe about that. Here's what I think it means. The weight are the things that we've grabbed onto, the lies that we've grabbed onto that we shouldn't have believed. And the sin that so easily causes us to stumble. We automatically think sins and think, oh, I need to quit doing that one. I need to quit doing that one. I need to quit doing that one. I don't believe that's what he's talking about here because the whole point of this section of Hebrews is about believing, it's about having faith. The sin he's talking about here is unbelief. So we listen to voices we shouldn't listen to, and that becomes a weight on us, and we won't listen to the voice we should listen to. And that's a sin. It's the sin of unbelief. We put these weights on. And they tie up our, they bind up our heart, they put chains around our feet, they distract our attention, and they sap us of energy. Because that's what lies do. I years ago as a young man heard a man speaking, and he was talking about getting counsel. And he said, I don't take counsel from just anyone. And I thought, well, that sounds a little arrogant. Please explain. And so he explained more. He said, I take counsel from people who are going where I want to go and are paying the price I'm willing to pay. Otherwise, if you're going a different direction, why would I take counsel from you? Most of us are taking counsel from the wrong people. Lay off the weights. The lies that you're believing that are weighing you down. And that's a good test. This thought, when it comes to my mind, does it weigh me down or lift me up? Does it it bind up my heart or set it free? Does it release my feet or does it keep me in chains? Does it distract me from what's really important or does it focus me on who Jesus is and what he's doing? These are good questions to ask about these things that come into your life. Does it drain and sap me of energy? Now, this one's a little tricky because you can be doing the thing that God called you to do, that Christ is leading you to do, and that will also drain and sap you of energy. Jesus got tired, okay? So that one's a little tricky. You're going to pray, the Spirit's going to have to give you wisdom, but the other ones are much clearer usually. And here's the last one. It says, looking unto Jesus. Jesus. I I say it, I'm, I'm going to translate it this way. Again, this is my word. The word says looking unto Jesus. But here's how the Holy Spirit speaks it to me. Troy, you need to believe what Jesus says no matter what you see. You need to believe what he says no matter what you see. I have a tendency to believe what I see, often more than I believe what he says. And quite honestly, the two often do not match up. Believe what he says. For example, we talked about it earlier, when he says that I'm blessed because I'm poor in spirit, I'm going to believe him even though what I see is very different. I think people are blessed when they're not poor in spirit, based on what I see. I think people are blessed when they're not mourning, based on what I see. I think people are blessed when they're not meek, based on what I see. But that's not what he said. I want to demonstrate this to you. Now, I'm going to give you some instructions. Are you listening? All right, here are the instructions. I'm gonna ask Liz in just a moment to put a picture up. She's gonna leave it up for five seconds. You are to read it, it's very short. You are to read it. She's gonna leave it up for five seconds. She's going to take it back down. You are not to say a word, okay? If you've seen this before, close your mouth, all right? If you haven't seen it before, still don't say a word. Either way, don't say anything. I'm gonna ask you a series of questions after you see it. Okay, are you ready? You understand the instructions? We're going to put it up for five seconds and then we're going to take it down. You're not going to say anything. Okay. All right. Are you ready? All right, Liz, let's do it. All right. What did it say? How many of you believe it said a bird in the hand? Raise your hand. You believe it said that. Good. Okay. How many have seen it before today? I may have seen this. There's a few of you who have seen it before. Okay, you don't count. All right? You you matter, but you don't count in this. All right? Um, Okay. How many of you are convinced it said a bird in the hand? You're convinced. That's what it said, a bird in the hand, right? That's what it said, a bird in the hand. I was The first time I saw this, I was convinced. I would have bet money. I would have bet big money that it said a bird in the hand. What if I told you you were wrong and it didn't say that? Liz, would you put it back up? I want you to read it closely do you know what just happened your brain assumes something in spite of everything else so you saw what you wanted to see do you see it now it's a simple illustration we used to use these sharing the gospel give them somebody and say hey what do you see there And they're like, a bird in the hand. I say, are you sure that's what you see? You want to read it again? Yeah, Yeah, it says a bird in the hand. No, that's not what it says. And it's a great transition to be able to see, you know, life is not always as it appears. Can I tell you what's really true, even if you don't see it? Here's the challenge that you and I have. We live in a world where we think we see correctly. And we don't. The longer I'm, I'm on this journey, I realize that I have to stop daily in so many things and ask myself the question, am I basing my response right now and my direction on what I have seen in the past, what I think I'm seeing now, what makes sense to me, what, the way I would have responded before? And if that is the case, then that's a big red flag. That's an indicator. I need to stop. This morning, I was—be I mean, honest—I was fretting about our six-four time, our prayer time this morning. We we were gathering to pray like we do, but I asked—you know—we wanted to have Watoto be part of that, and Edwin came in. And she, but before it all started, I was fretting over it. I was like. Lord, I, sh- I don't think I should have done that. That doesn't make any sense. And why did I do it that way? And all of these different thoughts, the, because of what I saw, what I saw in my, in my mind's eye, what I was seeing with my physical eyes, was causing me to think, no, I shouldn't do that. And so there had to be, and, and Lori is such a great help, and this is the reason you go back to point number one, have people in your life who are headed up by Jesus. And, and that's where you want to get counsel. That's where you want to get encouragement from. And she goes, Troy, could it be that God's doing something bigger than you can see right here? Could it be? I love the way she does that. She's so gracious. Uh, Me, I would go, Lori, don't you see that? Come on, open your eyes. Can you see that? She's like, could it be? You know, you think maybe? It's much sweeter. And I respond to it much better. That's the reason people respond better to her than they do me. Um, (laughs) But... And so I stopped and I said, Lord, what do you want me to see? And then we come in here, and I've got a plan in my mind. Those who are in 6-4, I shared it all with you because I thought, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going. This is the way it's supposed to look. And God completely redirects it. And Edwin begins to share his heart and his testimony. And you see it. And then there's a gathering around and laying hands on and prayer and a spirit moving in powerful ways. And I was blessed. I think we were blessed. Edwin was blessed. Because the blesser, he does things in a way that doesn't make sense to us. That's what he does. Would you let him head you up? Don't just be attached to the body. Let him head you up. I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask Lori to come. Maybe Nina. In a moment... They're going to lead us in a song. um, When you know, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Some, Some this morning... You're probably struggling with this because the enemy loves to come after a particular area. When the Holy Spirit starts guiding us toward this place, the enemy likes to come. And he's like, you know what? That may be true everywhere else, but it's not true for you in this situation. Or that doesn't apply here. Well, Troy shared that, but he doesn't know, he doesn't know what that person did. That doesn't apply in this situation. He doesn't know what you've been through. That doesn't apply. He doesn't know what you've had to endure. He doesn't know how you really feel. And you know what? Every one of those statements is accurate. I don't. But Jesus does. I'm not the one telling you. I'm not telling you you have to do anything this morning. I have no right to tell you. But he does. He does. So forget about anything else but him this morning. Just focus on him. And if he's speaking to your heart and saying, I want to hedge you up right here in this place, in this part of your life, would you say, Jesus, I need you. I surrender, I come. I'm here. I'm yours. I don't want to just be attached. I want to be under. I want to be intimately connected, walking with you, hearing from you, responding to you. We're going to talk more next week about how to do that in the Spirit. How the Spirit aids us in that. But today, Don't wait till next week, today. Say, Lord, I want that. You're stirring it in me by your spirit. I want it. I surrender to you. Lord Jesus, I pray for each one here. Because we're all growing in this, if we're honest. None of us have arrived. We're still being headed up. We're still in the process. But, Lord, there's a danger for us, those, especially those of us who've known you for a while. We get kind of set, apathetic, lethargic. We kind of get to a place where we're stuck. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you unstick people today? Would you release? We thank you. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus... You don't have a relationship. You've never believed that he's the son of God and he's God himself. That he died for your sins. He rose on the third day. He is seated at the right hand, ever interceding. That he is God, very God. He is your only hope and your only way. If you've never come to that place, then today's the day for you. Today is that day. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't put it off. You don't have guarantees of tomorrow. I got a phone call yesterday, and on Friday, my 38-year-old cousin died unexpectedly. You don't have the promise of tomorrow. You don't have it. You have today. That is not to put pressure. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I am speaking honestly to you. You don't have the promise of tomorrow. You have today. Lord Jesus. For anyone or ones here this morning who do not know you would you right now by your spirit draw them just draw them and cause them to be willing to say I come I come I believe I repent in other words I turn from the way I have believed and walked I'm going to walk a new way I'm going to have a new head I've got a new boss. Lord Jesus, today do your work in your people.